Heavenly Father, we thank you as a God who sustains us day by day, that you strengthen our bodies and you give us minds to think about ourselves, but also to think about you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we meditate upon your word today, that we may be encouraged about what we see there of your actions towards us. And so, Lord, we pray that we may act rightly towards you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come again to the book of Hosea, which we've been working through together, and we've come to chapter 11 of Hosea's prophecies, and in this passage, it's going to speak about a relationship between God and his people. Now, Hosea is a book which is known very well for speaking of God's relationship to his people as a husband to a wife. And we saw that in Hosea chapters 1, 2, and 3 when we examine those together, that God is the groom and his people are his bride. And Hosea himself, the prophet, was to show this by his own life. By marrying a woman who was unfaithful to him, his life, Hosea's life, was to be a metaphor of God's relationship with the church, where God has attached himself in covenant to a bride who is often unfaithful to him. But God continues to welcome that bride back. But in chapter 11, a new metaphor is given for God's relationship with his people, a metaphor that is played out over these verses, and it's not one of a groom with a bride. Instead, it is one of a father with a son. God describes his relationship with Israel as he is a father and Israel is his son. And we see that in verse 1 of Hosea chapter 11. Open your Bibles now with me to page 896 if you've got a black church Bible. And verse 1 of Hosea chapter 11 on page 896 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God is saying that Israel is my son. And I have loved him. And I have shown that love by bringing him to myself. And there's a particular reference that is made of how God did that in verse 1. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. What is being referred to there in verse 1? Of course, it's the Exodus, where the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, would not let the people go. But God drew them out with a mighty hand, with all the different plagues that he sent upon the Egyptians, so that eventually Pharaoh said, it is okay, you can go. And God drew them out. He called to the Israelites to come and be his children and follow him into the desert and then continue to look after them. And that's what goes on in verse 2 and following as well. It says, But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. In verse 3 there, we see that God continued to look after his children. He took them by the arms and helped them to walk. He drew them out of Egypt, but it wasn't like he abandoned them in the desert. No, God continued to look after them. He physically helped them to walk through the desert to the promised land. How did he do that? Well, He provided for them in different ways with food, but also with guidance. He had a pillar of fire that would shelter them at night and guide them at night, and then a pillar of cloud by day that would guide them through the desert. He was teaching them to walk physically, but also spiritually. 
He gave them his commands so that they would know how best to live, so that they could please God. He was teaching them the way that they should walk. And he was the one that was standing them as a a father over a son, holding the child's arms, holding the child's shoulders, so that they would be able to walk safely. And not only that, he healed them, he looked after them. It was it said there in verse 3 that he takes them by the arms and teaches them to walk, but it says also in verse 3, but they did not realise it was I who healed them. God did what a father does for a son. He makes sure that the children are safe and also that when they are injured, that they are healed. And God looked after the Israelites again and again with the sicknesses that they had. And one example, of course, is in Numbers 21 when the Israelites are in the desert and some poisonous snakes are killing many of them. And what happens? Well, God makes sure that a bronze snake is put up and everyone who looks at the bronze snake survives, that they're healed. God again and again heals the Israelites. He looks after them. And so it's not surprising that God's relationship with the Israelites is described as one of love in verse 4. It says in verse 4, to sum up what God has done for the Israelites, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. He looked after them. He led them at all times, and it was because of his love, his kindness towards them. And he also fed them. It says in verse 4, I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. I lifted up the load upon their shoulders and allowed them to feed And God did that by physically providing the manna and the quail throughout the desert and then bringing them into a land. How is the promised land described often? A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where they could eat and be satisfied. And then, of course, spiritually, as I said before, the Lord provided for them. He taught them how to walk by giving them his commands, but also then nourishing them spiritually as well by those commands and then sending people like prophets and priests to help them to feed upon him so they would have life everlasting. But sadly, we've already seen in verse 2 that the Israelites did not respond rightly to God. How did they respond to God's love as a father to them? In verse 2 it says, But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. People turned away from God and started to honour other gods. And why were they doing this? Well, verse 3 tells us why. It says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realise it was I who healed them. They did not recognise that God was the one who was looking after them. They did not recognise who their father was. And so instead, they worshipped other gods. They walked away from God. And as we look at the Israelites here, we can see that God has expressed his love to his people in the past in the same way that he expresses his love to us today as well. If you call yourself a Christian, then God has indeed treated you as a father to a son in the same ways that he's treated the Israelites here. Remember what it said about the Israelites in verse 1, that he called them out of Egypt He called them to himself, and that's what God has done to Christians. He's called us out of our own Egypts and adopted us into his family. We have been taken out of slavery, if we are Christians, out of the slavery to sin. We don't have a literal slavery to the Egyptian pharaoh or any other king in this world. Instead, we have a slavery to sin. 
And God, if we are a Christian, has called us out of such slavery and adopted us into his family. And then he's taught us to walk. As he taught the Israelites to walk by holding their hands, he has taught us to walk. He has held our hands. He's given us commands by which we are to live in. And he sustains us, strengthens us to do what is right as we learn to walk before him. And God has healed us of our many sins and the consequences of our sins. God never treats us as our sins deserve. He's always, when we have fallen into harm's way, he always lifts us up and protects us. It always surprises me when I sin in some way and there doesn't seem to be any consequence to my action. And that's the mercy of God healing me from the consequences of my sin. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He is a kind heavenly father towards us. And so we should acknowledge that just as the Israelites were described there as being ones who were led with cords of human kindness and with ties of love in verse 4, that is a description of how God has looked after us. He has led us with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. And he has also made sure that we are fed. As it says in verse 4 about the Israelites, he lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. God has fed us so often. Fed us in the truth of the scriptures. He's fed us with Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He's nourished us with the Holy Spirit. He has looked after us so well so that we are strong and able to walk because he has been holding our shoulders, but also because he has been nourishing us in the word. But then do you realize what you're doing when you sin? When you sin... As a so-called Christian, you are saying that your father is not God. Instead, your father is the devil. You're walking away and swearing allegiance to somebody else every time you sin. You show in that moment of sin that you do not realize that it is God who has looked after you. God has made you what you are today. He has protected you. He has fed you. He has helped you to walk. He has strengthened you. And you dismiss all that and then go and rebel against him as your father. You adopt a different father and do what he says. That father is ultimately Satan himself. See, Hosea's image here of God as a father and you as his child is to awaken us from our sin, to awaken us to how terrible our sin is. That was the, the wonderful beauty of that image that is given in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Hosea of how we are like an adulterous spouse to God and that awakens us to how serious our sin is. Every time we sin, we're being unfaithful to our spouse. And here we have yet another image of how serious our sin is, that when we sin, it is as though we are a child who is abandoning our gracious father and adopting another father instead. And this is an image that should catch us, should grab us, and help us to understand the awfulness of our sin. If we just imagine ourselves in God's shoes, so to speak, it's a very dangerous thing to do, generally speaking. It's one of the problems of humanity, the great problem of humanity, is to put themselves in the place of God. But just imagine what it would be like to be a parent in the way God has been a parent to a son. Imagine that you had loved a son in the way that God had provided for you, that you were responsible for bringing that son into the world. You've got this son, and you've called the son yours and loved 
that child. And then you are that good parent, that loving parent, that didn't just adopt the child and then have nothing to do with it. No, you've taken that child into your family and you've helped it to grow. You've helped that child to walk. That boy, as he takes his first steps, you're the one holding the hands of that child, holding onto the shoulders of the child so he doesn't fall over, so he doesn't skin his nose. You're the one that's there looking after him. And you don't just teach him to walk, you teach him in lots of other things. You teach him to ride a bike, which requires a lot more energy than teaching a child to walk. Running behind a bike is hard work. I often uh, come close to a heart attack sometimes when I do that. It's so wonderful when they can actually ride on their own and you no longer have to run behind the bike. It's hard work, but it's an act of love. You're teaching that child. You teach the child to hit a ball, to kick a ball. You teach the child to drive a car. I haven't had this experience of doing that yet, but it's a bit of a fearful one. But it's an act of love to teach that child, to be the one that protects the child and looks after that son that you have. You also teach the child to have knowledge of things, to speak, to read, to write, to draw, to paint, to study. You look after that child. How many readers have I read with my children that have been so mindless and boring, but I do it because of the love for the child. Now, there are some readers that are excellent and uh, quite entertaining, but many of the children's readers, they're just teaching simple words and they don't put them in particularly fun ways. But you do it out of love for that child. You are a good parent looking after your children. And you teach the children not just knowledge of things, but how to react emotionally to things, how to get angry rightly, but also how to calm down. You teach your child how to laugh and how to sorrow about things, so there's a place for laughter. There's also a place when you shouldn't be laughing, that you should be sorry about something. You teach that child with love, as God has taught his people. And you provide healing. Remember, that's one of the things God didn't just teach how to walk, but he also provided healing to his people, and you provide healing for your son. Imagine your son that you have, and over the years you give countless Band-Aids to that child. I think we keep Band-Aids in business sometimes. Every little scratch, every little mark on the body has to have a Band-Aid on top of it, and we do it, we keep giving them out because of love. All the little doses of Panadol, when we're not quite sure whether they're actually needed, but someone might like the taste of the Panadol, we keep giving them out. You make sure that you're healing that child of yours. You're taking that child to emergency rooms, sitting there for hours sometimes, going to medical appointments, out of love for that child because you're a father that looks after your children. And you lighten the yoke on the shoulders, as it said there in verse 4 about God, how he lightens the yoke of his people. You lighten the yoke on your ch child as you care for it in love. You carry the school bag to school for the child. I'm a bit of a sucker for doing that. One of the other parents, and well, the other parent in our home uh, is not so much one for carrying school bags, but I like to do it. It's an act of love to lighten the yoke from that child. And you help the child, you may even pick the child up when the child is tired. When your son is tired, you pick him up and carry him. You lighten his yoke that day so his little legs don't have to walk. And you may even do school assignments, lighten the yoke from your child, help them out as they do their studies with their homework. And you provide food for the child. Remember, that's what God did for his child. He provided food. He bent down to feed them. 
And that's one of the big roles of the parent, is making sure that your child has food to eat. Not just food that they like, but food that is good for them as well. And think of your son, you're that parent, you're providing day after day food for, that, for your child, thinking about what do they like to eat and what's good for them, making a stand when they don't want to eat what's good for them, but trying to encourage them to eat rightly. And as they get older, it's ever-increasing quantities of food that you have to provide. Particularly if they are a son and they become a teenage boy, they need more and more and more food. Uh, even, I think, uh, our son has started to become a teenager early on. He's starting to eat almost what I eat each night. He must be burning up a lot of energy. But think of you as that father. You're looking after that son and you're providing and caring for that child. Can you see your boy that you've called yours and that you've loved? You've wrapped him up in cords of kindness, as it says there about the Lord's love for his son, and ties of love. He's all wrapped up in your love. Now picture that son of yours that you've cared for for so many years, and then picture that son leaving you, scorning you, and going away to another parent. And not to another parent who will love the child, love your son, but going away to a parent who will actually take advantage of your son, abuse your son, use him for whatever benefit he can get, and then throw him out. And that is what you have done to God. Now, I think we can all start to grasp it. You may not have had a child, may not have had a son, but you can picture it. As clearly, but we've all been children. We all know what it's like to have a parent, and maybe our parents weren't good to us, but we can have the picture of what it would be to have a loving parent who surrounds us with ties of love who, and cords of kindness all our days. And so we can see how terrible that pain would be. The worst pain we can cause someone is to hurt those that have loved us immensely. It's one thing to hurt your boss at work, who you may not like that much and who hasn't been very good to you. It's another thing to hurt a friend, maybe, an acquaintance, disappoint them. But it's a whole other thing to hurt someone who has just loved you again and again, who supported you if you were a child again and again as you've grown up and fed you and looked after you. And so the pain is so much greater when you hurt that person. And now think that is what you've done to God every time you sin. You walk away to another parent and say, I'm going to do what you want rather than what my father, who has been so good to me, wants. It's an awful pain you're causing God, a terrible pain, a parental pain. Because what you're doing when you sin, you're going over to Satan and saying, Daddy. And God sees it. God is not ignorant to what you do. You may be in a private room and no one sees what you're doing. Your sin seems to be very private, but God is there and he sees it. And when you go away from him, when he's been so good to you, no father on earth has ever been as good to you as your heavenly father has been. No father has been as loving, has, has cared for you in the way that your heavenly father has. And then you walk away and say, Daddy to Satan is what you're doing when you sin. We need Hosea to remind us of the fact that we are so often delinquents, juvenile delinquents to God. 
Because we just so do not understand how serious our sin is, how awful it is. We think it's just a small matter and God can overcome it and it's all not a big deal at all to him. And you think if God gets wrathful about sin, oh, he's, he's really having a bad day. But we don't understand that he's been so kind to us, so good to us, so loving for decades often. And then we walk away and we want to do what somebody else will tell us to do, particularly Satan himself. We need Hosea to awaken us to how awful our sin is. If you want to be awakened to your sin from Hosea here, I encourage you to this afternoon to go through verses just 1, 2, 3 and 4 of Hosea and substitute your name in for Israel's name there and feel the conviction of your sin. I'll read through the passage again, but I'll put my name in there. Listen to what it says there. When Joel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Joel, the further he went from me. Joel sacrificed to the Baals, and he burned incense to images. It was I who taught Joel to walk, taking him by the arms. But Joel did not realize it was I who healed him. I led Joel with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from Joel's neck and bent down to feed him. Can you see the weight of those verses when you put yourself in there and how good God has been to you? And then what verse 2 is saying, that you've gone off and sacrificed to other gods. Do you see the horror of sin here? If you don't, are you even a Christian? If you regularly engage in sin, regularly do what Satan wants instead of what God wants, you must ask yourself, am I a child of God or am I a child of Satan? If God calls you to love others and you regularly nurture hatred in your heart, who is your father? If God calls you to sexual purity but you regularly look at pornography, who is your father? If God calls you to generosity and you rarely do anything for anyone else, who is your father? If God calls you to speak the truth and you regularly speak lies, who is your father? If God calls you to contentment and you regularly get annoyed with this world, you're regularly frustrated and angry, who is your father? Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, and you look at your life and you see again and again that your father is really the devil because of the sin that is so pervasive in it. Well, now is your time to run to God as he calls. It says in verse 2 there of Hosea 11, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. God is calling you today. Don't go further from him. Let today be the day where you turn to him. God has been providing for you in numerous ways all your life. The fact that you're alive and sitting here is a wonderful provision of God as your creator. Don't walk away from him. The more God calls, the further you should go towards him, not away from him. Abandon Satan as a false father who has never done anything good for you and go to the one 
who has loved you from the day you were born, from before you were born, who has been kind to you again and again. But even if you are a Christian, you're here this morning. I think all of us must confess that we have hurt our father repeatedly as delinquents. When we looked at Hosea chapter 1, 2 and 3, we saw again and again that we've been unfaithful spouses. And now as we look at Hosea 11, we have to recognise that we have been unfaithful children. And so we need to confess that. Confess our sins once more to God and ask for his forgiveness for causing such pain to a father who has been increasingly loving towards us. And then thank God for his kindness, for his ties of love around us, because even now God graciously forgives us through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful message of the Bible that there is no sin that is so great that God cannot forgive it through Jesus Christ. Even delinquent children are forgiven by the Heavenly Father. wonderful example of that in the New Testament is, of course, the parable of the prodigal son, where the father welcomes back the delinquent child with open arms. And God does that now. If we come to him and confess our sin, he once again welcomes us home. And let us seek to be obedient to God as our father. I recently read a quote about Robert Murray McChain, who is... Uh, uh, a wonderful preacher, uh, and uh, he, he, he wrote so many uh, great sermons and was used of God. There was a revival at his church, uh, and I use his Bible reading plan. I've been using it for a few decades now. Uh, he says that he had this prayer, O oh God, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be made. What was his prayer? O oh God, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be made. And that should be our desire. Until we reach glory, make me as holy as I possibly can be. Because you are my father and Satan is not my father anymore. And I want to live for your glory, not the glory of some false parent. And so let us seek to be obedient. Ask God for help. And may it grieve us to grieve our father who has been so tender with us. And may it be that when God calls us repeatedly the more we turn to him. May it not be said of us as it was said of Israel in verse 2, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. But instead may it be said, the more I called him, the closer he came to me. So let us come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your word which reminds us of how shocking our sin is, how awful it is, how you have been a loving parent to us, and yet we have sinned against you repeatedly. We have shown that we often want a different parent. We want Satan as our father. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ's blood would cleanse us from the unrighteousness that we have caused as delinquent children. So, Lord, we pray that you would welcome us with those wonderful arms that you have, those arms of mercy, those ties of love, those cords of kindness. Wrap us in them, O Lord. Forgive us. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to not sin against you, to recognise how terrible our sin is. 
and to come before you and do right rather than wrong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.